I've never been in trouble in my life. I didn't even have a parking ticket. I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I was brought up like cops are the, the good guys. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I do know that everything was stacked against me. Everything, like everything. This isn't supposed to happen this way. I'm innocent. I know I'm innocent. I know I had nothing to do with this. How is this possible? I grew up trusting the systems. I grew up believing that every human being should do the right thing. And that's why, even though I knew I was dealing with corrupt people, I was not going to bribe anyone to get me out of prison because I wouldn't live with the fact that I bribed my way out of my wife's death. I'm not innocent until proven guilty. I'm guilty until I prove my innocence, and that's absolutely what happened to me. Our system, since I've been out 10 years, it's come a little ways, but it's still broken. I totally lost trust in humanity after what happened to me. This is Wrongful Conviction. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today, I have two extraordinary people as my guests. Uh, Justin Brooks, who many of you will recognize because he's a return uh, guest on the podcast. Justin is the director of the California Innocence Project and a personal hero of mine. So, Justin, welcome back. Thank you so much, Jason. And with him is our featured guest, um, who is an extraordinary person with an insane story to tell that I think we can all learn a lot from, and I'm really excited to hear um, the whole the whole thing, um, or as much as we can get in, because uh, I know it's impossible to share all your um, all your uh, uh, saga on this one hour format. But Luis Vargas, I'm really happy to have you here. I mean, as I always say, I'm happy you're here, but I'm sorry you're here. But welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I am also very uh, uh, happy to do this, and I'm enthusiastic about what's to be the result of these type of podcasts. It's a blessing to me. Well, I'm glad you say that, because I think in sharing your story, uh, the best we can hope for is that people will get a better understanding of just how flawed our justice system is and how these mistakes can really ruin so many people's lives. And by that, I mean not just yours, but all of the victims that were uh, uh, tragically hurt uh, as a result of the fact that they put the wrong guy behind bars when there was a serial rapist on the loose 
who was out there uh, committing heinous acts against innocent women in California. So let's let's get right into it. <clears throat> Luis, uh, where where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Bring us back uh, memory, you know, like in the movies when it gets all foggy and you go back to back to the day. How, where did where were you born and where'd you grow up? I was born in uh, uh, Mexico, Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. Uh, however, I migrated to uh, California when I was about 10 years old. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, you know, started uh, going to school, elementary, junior high, high school, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, that's where I basically grew up at. And was your childhood a happy childhood? I mean, you know, I know it had a lot of challenges being an immigrant difficult. You weren't in a, in a you know, probably a, in those times growing up in the 90s in South Central, I'm sure it was, you know, a dangerous environment. But uh, can you tell us a little more about that? Well, dangerous it was. I mean, I grew up in a single parent household, you know, and unfortunately, my mother had to work uh, two jobs to be able to uh, to put food on our tables and keep us close, you know, and do all that, you know, try to provide for us. And as we grew up, it was pretty rough. It was it was South Central Los Angeles. I mean, it's well known for its uh, crime and everything that happens around it. Uh, I started uh, seeking, you know, outside of the home, the things that I wasn't able to get inside the home because of the fact that mother was working two jobs, not because she didn't want to give it to me, but because she was working two jobs. She hardly ever came home. And when she came home, she came home so exhausted that she felt, I mean, she needed to get some rest. In the meantime, you know, I, I, along with a sister, older sister and a younger brother, you know, we grew up basically not on our own, but, you know, figuring things out for the most part, uh, you know, on our own, you know, and the things that I was figuring out, you know, I was doing them by uh, searching places where I didn't really need to be, you know, got around, got around uh, the neighborhood, started to know a few kids, you know, groupies. And, and, you know, before you know it, I was uh, growing up pretty fast. And uh, life on a highway, as they say, you know, and it was it was pretty dramatic. Um, and you were homeless for a period of time. Is that right? I was. I was. I was. I was uh, homeless for a period of time due to the fact that I had uh, uh, left home for a while. And when I left home, I was down in the uh, San Diego area, so I was on my own. I was on my own. I was figuring things out on my own. I think about it. I mean, a teenager, not really knowing, you know, what life is about, barely figuring life out, trying to make sense of things, you know, and just making, doing the best he could to survive. You know, that was me. That and it, was me. And it was at that time that you got a tattoo that uh, turned out to play a very um, a role that you could never have predicted that really had a devastating impact on your life down the road. But we'll get into that uh, further as we get along in the story. So yeah. let's, let's fast forward to 1998. Um, this was a... a a time when there was a lot of crime, um, much worse than it is now in America. And at the time, there was a serial rapist on the loose in California called the Teardrop Rapist. Um, and Justin, can you talk a little bit about that and what you know? What sure. what what was the whole circumstance surrounding that um, you, you know that that time? Sure. So uh, there was a serial rapist. Um, in Los Angeles, uh, all of the women were Latin women, Latinas. They were all waiting at bus stops early in the morning, and they all occurred within a one-and-a-half-mile radius in a certain area of Los Angeles. Uh, the rapist would approach them, ask for directions, and it was a Latino man, and then all these rapes occurred. The witnesses, the one defining feature, so this a tattoo was very popular during this era. Those of us who work in the criminal justice system have seen this tattoo where it's one or two teardrops. And all of the victims described their attacker that way, that it was a Latino man, that he approached them first thing in the morning at the bus stop, and that there were these attacks, and that this tattoo was on the attacker. And so it was very clear based on this very specific M.O., that there was one guy who was doing all these rapes. Luis ends up getting arrested and charged with three of these rapes. 
which when we went back in and started investigating the case, we're starting with, okay, why is this one guy charged with three of these attacks? And by the time we reviewed the case, there'd been 35 documented attacks with this exact same MO. And how many of those had occurred after his arrest? So that's the crazy part of the story. Uh, we went in <laughs> and we were able to use DNA to match up one of the rapes that Luis got accused of with rapes that had occurred while he was incarcerated. And in fact, one of these rapes occurred while Luis was on trial and sitting in jail. And just imagine that if, if you know, your client's on trial for his life for this crime and somebody else is committing the same crime in the same city, in the same area, with the exact same M.O., and a district attorney is getting up and telling the jury, you know, these three rapes all have the same M.O., they're clearly done by the same guy. Well, it was the same guy, and that same guy was still committing those crimes while Luis was on trial and after he went to prison. And do we know for certain that the D.A. had that information at that time? So what we do know is that the police department had investigated it so much to the point of that they had what was called a rape book, and they had linked all these crimes together. And they didn't widely publicize this. I don't, you know, for whatever reasons they had, whether they didn't want to make people scared or create some kind of hysteria, but we do know that they were in possession of this information, that they had linked this information, and yet that information was not turned over to the defense. And as you know, it, it's a clear Brady violation that the government must turn over all potentially exculpatory evidence to the defense. And this was clearly exculpatory. Right. I mean, this is as black and white as it can be. And meanwhile, Luis, you had alibis for <clears throat> at least one or more of these um, crimes that you were charged with. Is that right? Yes, I did. I had alibis. Uh, I mean, I used to work at I used to be a manager for a Manhattan bagel uh, store right there in North Hollywood. And uh, I used to drive my baker even to work, sometimes at 4 o'clock in the morning. So uh, one one of the uh, uh, incidents where I, we did present an alibi at court was not admitted because uh, the manager at that time that was working along my side, he had written it down because the time clock machine had broken. I mean, imagine that, the irony, right? One of the one, of the one times that I really needed to have solid alibi, <laughs> you know, the time clock happens to be broken. So he has to go ahead and write it down, jot it down with his, his with a pen in hand. So, you know, that's why it wasn't admissible. It wasn't admissible in court. But I did have several uh, alibis. And uh, unfortunately, you know, none of them uh, seem to be uh, uh, solid enough to be able to hold up. You know, so they still went ahead and convicted me on the just basically on hearsay, you know. Well, on, as, as Jason, you've talked about many times on this show, he was convicted based on the bad identifications made by these very frightened victims of this horrible crime. And these identifications were not, uh, you know, from my understanding and reading about the case, these identifications were uh, wavering. The, 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 the victims were, were not sure at various times. They were... Um, you know, yep. back and forth. And so even we know for sh for sure, and people who listen to the show have probably heard the Jennifer Thompson, uh, Ronald Cotton episode, you know, where as she was described as the perfect witness, um, a woman who was, mm -hmm. you know, a 22-year-old college student, sober, home alone, and spent 25 minutes doing nothing but studying her attacker, every detail because she was absolutely determined that she was going to memorize everything about his appearance. Um, and, uh, and she had time to do it, and she identified him with absolute certainty in a lineup, in a mugshot book, and at trial. And, of course, 11 years later, tragically found out that she had been wrong. Um, you know, and she's become a tremendous advocate uh, as has he, for eyewitness identification procedure uh, improvements and, um, um, you know, refinements. And, 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 you know, there's just there's so many things that we need to do. And there's so many things that we can do to improve that process. But in your case, Luis, that it wasn't even that. It wasn't even like it was a strong identification. It was 
uh, you know, they were they were on the fence, and so it seemed so insane. You had a you had an alibi. The time clock thing is blowing my mind, and it's interesting too because I'm sure some people that are listening in L.A. You know, uh, it, maybe yeah. may may have been to your bagel store at the time. They may even know you. So, um, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's interesting because these uh, these uh, uh, descriptions that the young ladies gave, you know, which I do feel very sorry that it happened to them. You know, I think they were ultimately uh, not only influenced by all the factors that were surrounding them, the fear, the stress, the weapons, the weapon that was used, the chaos, and not to mention the fact that when they were interviewed, at the time that they were interviewed, I mean, I'm positive that they were influenced by uh, the people that interviewed them. You know, I mean, how could you go from uh, being 70% sure, okay, during during a photo six-pack photo lineup, how could you go from being no, 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 wait a minute, 85% sure, okay? 85% sure that uh, I'm within the six-pack that you were shown. Then from 85, you go down. I'm talking about uh, the, one of the young ladies that identified me uh, during a photo lineup. First, she said she was 85% sure. Then she came back and said 70% sure. Then ultimately, during the trial, when uh, uh, the DA went and, 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 and asked for her identification, all of a sudden, lo and behold, a deja vu, you know, 100% sure that it was me, the one, the one that attacked her. You know, that is amazing to me. The way the way things happened like that, I mean, everything was playing out in front of me as if it was some type of motion picture. I couldn't understand it. I, uh, my mind was, was baffled because of the things that were going on. I was so sure and so confident that I was going to win this trial because of the fact that I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. I mean, I was looking at the victims, at the witnesses straight in the eyes because I wanted them so badly to identify me, not as the attacker, of course, but as the person that did not have anything. You know, unfortunately, I was, I was dealt with a blow. I was dealt with, a, with at, what at that time seemed a deadly blow because I was, I was sentenced to spend the rest of my life in prison. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh. <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Eh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. 
Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Fifty-five years to life was a sentence, and and Justin, this case has you know so many really terribly common um, earmarks mm-hmm. of wrongful convictions. Right? You have mistaken eyewitness identification. You have exculpatory evidence that was withhold. Clear Brady violations, in other words, in legal terms. And you also had an incompetent defense attorney who didn't call witnesses to the stand that could have and very well might have. Um, you know, influenced the jury in a way where they would have gotten it right, uh, which is which is always yeah. like that. That's oh, that always blows my mind. Like, I, I, you know, I don't understand how someone can pass the bar and then end up as a lawyer. You have to have a, you know, a certain amount of intelligence. It's not easy to pass the bar, right? You got to, and and then you end up in a courtroom and you don't do the most basic thing that anyone who watches TV knows. Call the witnesses who can say he was at a different place. He couldn't have done this. He was making bagels, fucking bagels. I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ. He was smearing cream cheese on the damn thing. You know, he was not raping this woman. I mean, oh my God. So, I mean, so Justin, can you explain how does that even happen? Why is that a thing? I mean, well, first of all, the ID problem is really the biggest problem here. And I'll tell you something even more shocking. We are two decades later, and Los Angeles is still using these procedures. Los Angeles has not changed to the best practices for eyewitness identification. And we've changed in San Diego. We've changed in Northern California. But the biggest county in the United States is still doing this. And what are those those best practices? What are those best practices? So you should never use six packs. Um, so the problems with six pack photo arrays are well documented, and every study has shown that when you show a victim six photos, what their brain does is make a comparative analysis of those six, and they pick out the person who most looks like the suspect. Now, it does; they may not look like the suspect very much at all, but out of those six, it's the person who most looks like it. And then they start doing these statistical analysis of, you know, what's their percentage of clarity? And it's all completely meaningless. You know, there, there's, there's no way to assess in your life what you're 80% sure of, what you're 60% sure of, what you're 100% sure of, because memory is so easily contaminated and there's so many problems with it. So the best practice is to show single photos, one at a time, and more importantly, you cannot have the officers involved in the process who know who the suspect is because they always give off tells. And, and even when they don't do something stupid, like take a good long look at number three, they do the kind of things that we hear in this case where Luis talked about how the witness changed how sure she was. Well, that can happen as simple as this. You pick, num- you pick letter C, and the officer thinks it's letter C. So they say things like, good job, okay, great, all right, we got them. And now they're 100% sure they have the right person. And in rape cases, you get the worst IDs because you have now a victim who's very frightened, who's gone through a lot of trauma, who desperately wants this person off the street. So they're going to go along with that because that, that is what their psyche wants to happen. They want to be comforted by this, that they got the right person, that they're off the streets. So the problem in this country is we have no true national criminal justice policy. I mean, only in the federal courts, the very small part of our criminal justice system, most of it's in the state courts. 
No one has control to change national policy. So we have to fight these battles state by state and then county by county because, for example, in Los Angeles, it's up to the district attorney's office and the chief of police as to what procedures they use. So this is going to be a battle that's going to go on for a long time, whereas in other countries, like I just came back from the U.K., in the U.K. they have national criminal justice policies that they put in place throughout the country. But we've divided our country into all these jurisdictions with all these little pockets of power, and we have cases like Luis. Right, and this is an interesting thing, too, because this is not a, a, a liberal or a conservative issue or a Democratic or a Republican or a this or a that. It, it should be, and this case is so why I'm so appreciative that Luis is here, because this case screams out for all the people, and we're talking about dozens of people, women who were brutally attacked in, in the wake of his wrongful arrest and conviction, because they stopped looking for the real guy when they got Luis, even though these things went on and on and on. It's like, so it's, or they took a beat. I mean, they must have started again at some point, but they chose to just not share that information with Luis and his team because they already had him. But they knew that this was the same guy. There was never any question. I mean, you can't have a more uh, uh, dynamic example of a serial a predator. I mean, this guy was, I mean, it, it, it's unreal. I mean, and especially in a 1.6 mile radius. And that would have terrified the neighborhood. I mean, but at the same time, you know what bugs me about that is that the authorities should have made this known to everyone because what about the, how would yeah. you like to be a parent of one of these kids or a relative or anything <laughs> else? And you wow. say, wow, if I had known, I never would have let her go to the bus stop by herself until this guy was Absolutely. locked up. I mean, not a chance. Definitely. I mean, anyone who's listening yeah, who has definitely. a daughter, which I do, uh, uh, it, it's like you would do anything you could to protect that child. Maybe you wouldn't even let them go to school until this was resolved. But no way would you expose someone to a risk that was so incredibly high and you know where it's going to happen. And by the way, they also should have had patrols out at every bus stop. For that period of time, right? I mean, definitely. How long would it have taken? It's one point six miles. You would have needed just a quick map, right? Thing, and you could have done a. I mean, you know, it's not even. I don't know. It's 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 baffling to me the whole thing, and of course, you know, Luis is one victim in this case, but there's so many others, and it's uh, it's really, it's hard to wrap yourself around it. But it's why it's so important that we're doing the work that we're doing. And again, where could the disagreement be? Why would we as a society, anyone from any sort of political persuasion or any uh, ideology or philosophy, would want to make sure that this predator, this, this animal who was doing these things over and over again would be off the streets? So in order to do that, we know, we have the information. We've had it for years, as Justin said, right? You know, we need to have what's called the double blind which means that the person conducting, whether it's the mugshot or the lineup or any sort of eyewitness identification procedure, cannot, must not know who the actual suspect is. Because even if they have the best intentions, they're going to say things that will influence the, the, the witness, in this case the victims or any witness, to, to, you know, to change their opinion. And that's not a good thing. That, that leads to more mistakes. And at the same time, we know, too, that um, mug shots, and this is the simplest thing in the world, right? And it's science. It's just fucking science. Instead of having six pictures on a page, you have one. And the mind works better that way. And I know I would be the world's worst witness because I, I'm i that guy who will meet somebody, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I'll meet somebody, we'll go to lunch, and then I'll run into them three days later, and they're like, hey, Jason, what's happening? I'm like... Hey man, how you doing? You know what I mean, like that. Who are like, you? I'm like, oh god, I can't remember. I mean, I can't remember names. I can only remember jokes and phone numbers. But anyway, that's that's my problem. So most people, most people are like you, though, Jason. I mean, I think human beings just really don't have that kind of capacity. And and as you said, you know, the police officers are not great poker players. Uh, you know, my brother is a professional poker player, and I go watch these guys play, and they wear hats and sunglasses, and they look down at the table, and they do anything to not give a tell of what their hand is. And these guys are professional poker players. But I imagine these police officers, they're giving out all kinds of signals of who they really want to get, 
who the real guy is, and, and it's tragic, the results. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes they unwillingly uh, go ahead and give out telltale signs that's a good job or, you know, to lead, to kind of persuade the, the uh, victim at this time. But sometimes, and this is the scary part, that sometimes they just do it for the sake of doing it because they want to close a case. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting to me that at this moment when you're talking about eyewitness identification, I was just recalling back one of, one of the faces in my trial in, on February, I think it was February 16, uh, 1999, where one of the young victims uh, uh, identified me in court. I mean, this process, the DA at this time said that uh, uh, the victim took a long time to identify me because she was afraid. I mean, a long time, five minutes in, turned it to identify someone. You know, and when she couldn't identify me, because she scanned, when the, when the DA asked her, you know, if she'd seen me in the courtroom, can she please identify me as in what I was wearing? Uh, she asked the DA a question. She goes, I mean, picture this. Uh, you got, you have the whole courtroom full. It was standing, a standing room. You had the 12 jurors, you had the audience. And then you had me at the defense. By that time, I had fired my, my public defender because, uh, I mean, he was doing such a lousy job. I was so, I was so confident that I was not going to get identified, that I was not going to get sentenced, that on one of the occasions when we went to one of our, of our uh, hearings, he went ahead and asked for another extension. I got up, shackled and everything. I got up and I said, Your Honor, I object. I do not want another extension. I want this to be over. Man, the bailiff rushed from the back and just grabbed my shoulders and sat me down. You know, and then when I looked at my attorney and I told him I don't want another extension, the public defender, and he looked at me. I mean, he straight out screamed from the top of his lungs, you're going to get sentenced. And I go, no, I'm not. I didn't do these crimes. Right. <laughs> and the judge just slapped his, slapped his uh, 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 hammer on the, on, the, on the desk and just like order in the court. Right. So I go, OK, fine. But I told him I do not want another extension. Well, fast forward to one of the basis in my trial this young lady had such a hard time identifying me that she scanned when she was told to identify to look around the courtroom and, and identify me she asked the da a question from who from them and guess what she was pointing to she was pointing to the jury to the 12 jurors she was asking the da from who do i have to identify my attacker from them from the 12 jurors oh that's when the da said no from the whole courtroom look at the whole courtroom so she scanned from left to right, very slowly, left to right, all the way from the jury to the defense table. And then uh, as I was looking, I mean, I didn't lower my head for a minute, not even a second. I looked at her straight in the eyes and hoped to God that she would say, no, that's not him. That's not the bump in the nose that I remember. That's not the clear, uh, 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 the unshaven face that I remember. That's not the teardrop that I remember seeing or not seeing, she looked straight at me, I looked straight at her, and at that, one, not even one fraction of a second later, she went ahead and scanned the room back, all the way back to the jury room, to the jury uh, uh, where the jury was sitting, and, and stopped, hesitated, didn't say nothing. The DA once again went, like, like, pronounced her name and said, can you please look around the courtroom and identify the person that attacked you? Okay, this time, she didn't ask, can you please tell us if the person that attacked you is here? This time she's saying, can you identify the person that attacked you? In other words, you know what? He's definitely here. All you have to do is identify him. So now the victim is over here once again, scanning the room from left to right. I mean, it took an eternity. And she did this three times. And I'm, all this time I'm looking at her. I'm hoping, I'm praying to God to be rid of those shackles. Uh, well, when she did this a second time, by this time the DA asked the judge to grant her a motion. She goes, Your Honor, can I please move around the courtroom? Your Honor goes, like, what's the reason? The DA, and I'm surprised by that time I had a hired attorney. I'm surprised he did not object to that. But when the judge asked her what's the reason, she said, oh, I, just, I just want to move around the courtroom, let her know, let my witness know that she's okay, that she's not in danger, that everything's fine, you know. So the judge goes, granted. So I had an attorney that, I mean, he was like about maybe at that, at that time, probably a good 64, 66 years old, maybe. Uh, he was a, a Anglo-Saxon, real tall, hair as white as snow, and he was uh, uh, pretty light-complected, so light that on a heated day, he could probably turn red because of the heat, right? Well, anyways, 
the young the DA goes behind him. I mean, picture this in the middle of a trial where someone's life is, I mean, at the precipice of being sentenced to 55 years to life. I mean, I'm talking about my earliest chance of parole was going to be on October of 2045. Could you imagine that? I mean, I thought the whole world was eating me alive. Well, the DA goes behind my attorney and stands behind him. And she goes to the young lady, does this look like the person that attacked you? (laughs) Come on. What was she going to say? No. Then the DA, she might as well grab her little pointer, pulled it out, stretched it out, and signaled me and said, hey, this is the guy right here. Look at him. You know, I mean, Hispanic, uh, possibly uh, gang-affiliated, slick hair, black, you know, comb it backwards, uh, uh, tattoos. Look at him. Look at him real good. You don't need to think long. This is the guy. She, she might as well have said that because after she stood behind my attorney, she stands right. And I knew what this was going to cost. I knew what was going to happen next. As soon as I seen her approach my attorney, I said, okay, here it comes. Here comes the, the shotgun blast because it did feel like a shotgun blast. I felt that I was taken back by all the things that were going on. I mean, they sentenced me basically on nothing but the drama that was in the court. I'm surprised the DA didn't grab tissue and took it to the victim and said, here, dry your eyes. You know, let the jury see this, you know, that you're being so affected by this. I'm surprised that didn't happen because it was Hollywood. I mean, that was basically Hollywood right there. She stood right behind me and said, does this look like the person that attacked you? Come on. What was the victim going to say? Young lady, stressed out, scared, nervous, you know, influenced by all the other factors. This lady had gone from, uh, in, during her identification process, this lady had gone from a, a, a second uh, photo lineup that they had showed her where she was not sure. Now in court, she had gone from not being sure to being 100% certain of her identification. This happened in court after the DA stood behind me and acted as a pointer and put the target on me and said, is this the person that attacked you? Take off the is. Do not even make it a question because you're basically saying this is the person that attacked you. Well, at that moment, that young lady just, at that moment, she just went ahead and said, yes, that's him. Oh, my goodness. I felt that my whole world had fallen apart once again. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. 
Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. And Justin, that I mean, there's. it sounds to me like there's no question that the judge acted improperly here too right he absolutely should have called at that point it's a mistrial isn't it yeah i think at a certain point a judge has a responsibility to say this just doesn't pass the basic test there's a basic rule of evidence that if evidence is more prejudicial than probative it shouldn't be admitted in a courtroom and if if she has to look around the room three times and be prodded by the da and as louise said this this identification led to his entire life being taken away from him we just can't let people get convicted in this country and go to prison based largely on emotion and bad evidence. No, that's, I mean, that's uh, bad behavior doesn't even begin to describe it. And, you know, I, wanted, I do want to make the point, and I, I make this often, that, uh, you know, I'm a person who believes in a system of laws. And I think that we have a lot of very good police officers out there, a lot of very good prosecutors, judges, defense attorneys. But the bad ones do just incredible amounts of damage. And this is an example of, of the system failing Luis and us as a society and the residents of LA in so many different ways. And it's just, uh, it never, it never ceases to, uh, to blow my mind how this could go on in the country. You know, it's 20, uh, uh, well, this was 20th century, but it was the end of the 20th century. I mean, we're talking 1999 in America I and mean, this is not, uh, it's like, a, and it became like a witch trial. Um, I mean, with her standing behind you, it's like, yeah, you're done. That's it. I mean, it's just like, just draw a circle around you. I mean, it's like, anyway, I can't even. Mine as well. And it's, and, and it's L.A. It's not the deep south, right? It's, it's Los Angeles. Um, so, right. So, and it's happening today. And it's happening today, Jason. I mean, that, that's the thing that's so frustrating in California is even with stories like Luis's, even And in Luis's case, by the way, when we filed the habeas petition and pointed out all these inconsistencies and how the DNA from one of the cases he was charged with matched up with cases that happened when he was in prison. The district attorney's office conceded this case and he was declared innocent. But it's, it's again, it's sort of like, and now we move on. You know, it's, it, we have to make the changes. We have to, this is what I love, why I love your show so much because your show goes back and dissects these cases and says, we can't just move on. We need to look at these cases and make the changes. And what we got to learn from Elisa's case is Los Angeles County and every county in America has to stop doing these procedures because they are victimizing the people who go to prison. They're victimizing the community and the people who have been victimized by these people and, and they don't get the right person. And it's just shocking that it's still going on. I'll even take it one step further. How, how would you feel if you were one of the jurors and then later on, you find out that you were tricked, right? That you were mm -hmm. actually tricked into making a decision that ruined the lives of Luis and some of his family members, but also that led to a, you know, a, an outcome that was tragically predictable, which is that this serial rapist went on to commit these other horrible crimes. I mean, the jurors are in there trying to do, we would hope, their level best to make sure that the right outcome is reached. I think that almost anybody that goes into a jury room is, you know, there'll be some people who may have some inherent biases. We try to weed them out, but it doesn't always happen. But for people who are listening now, and I talk about this often, everyone who's listening is a potential juror. And someday you're going to end up getting called for jury duty. First of all, go. And second of all, when you go, be woke. 
Think about Luis. Think about what happened to him. Look for those signs in the courtroom so that if this type of stuff is going on, you're able to think about, wait a minute, the, the, the line, the, how is the lineup conductor? How is the th- or how are they behaving in the courtroom? Are they being suggestive? Are they, is this a fair trial? Am I being presented with, remember, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the, one of the bedrocks of our whole yes. system, right? It's supposed to be beyond. Yes. How can anyone listen to this story? And of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. but how could anyone listen? I think anyone listening now would say, well, if I was on that jury, I would have, I, 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 I never would have voted to convict. I mean, but, but 12 people did. And so, um, you know, that's – and anyway, now I'm going to turn it back over to you, Luis. I'm sorry. Well, going back to uh, uh, jury identification, right? My son and my and my wife, they got a jury summons. And one of the things that I told them was like, you know what, mijo? When they showed it to me, I told them, you know what, mijo? Do this. That's a duty that you have to observe. So when you go, make sure that you listen to all the evidence real carefully. Because remember, I told them this. Use my case as an example. And they know very well what happened in my case. My case was such a high-profile case that I, my picture was coming out on every newspaper, even including La Opinión, the Mexican newspaper. It was front cover, full-size front cover. When I went to the Mexican consulate to try to get uh, my paper, my, my Mexican uh, ID to begin my process and my birth certificate, they were requiring of me a picture ID. Now, remember, all I had with me was my prison identification. And my attorney had said, do not show that unless it's absolutely necessary. So here I am in the Mexican consulate in front of these people trying to get my my, my uh, Mexican paperwork so that I could start my identification process. Well, when I go in there, I look at a stack of newspapers from La Opinion, and guess what? All of them had my picture on it. There must have been probably around maybe 24 or 25 uh, newspapers stacked up all together. Well, when we went in there, my mother, you know, not because she thought I was a celebrity, but because she, I mean, this is something to uh, hold, right? So she went ahead and grabbed about probably five or six newspapers and put them in her bag. Well, when we walked in there, we're in front of, I mean, they gave us such a hard time to try to get our paper that we finally went into this attorney's office, okay? And and we're in front of her desk sitting down, and we're explaining to her that I have no identifications that I need to begin to get my birth certificate and my uh, uh, Mexican uh, matricula, which is an ID, and the first thing she tells us is, well, you know what? You cannot get it because you have to show us a picture ID. And once again, my mother got so frustrated, Mr. Jason. My mother got so frustrated, Mr. Brooks, that what she did, <laughs> it was funny. This was hilarious. She went ahead and grabbed one of the newspapers with my picture right on the cover, right? Front cover on my county blues. And she, it was the, the picture of the day I got exonerated. And she went ahead and stood up. I mean, it's like they gave her a vitamin B shot, right? And she stood right up and she grabbed the paper and she slammed, she literally slammed it on the attorney's desk and said, is this enough of an ID for you? In Spanish, right? She goes, is this enough of an ID? I mean, she was mad. I hadn't seen my mom so mad, <laughs> you know, forever, right? But she slammed it on the desk and she goes, is this enough of an identification for you? My son was sentenced. And you know, the, the, the attorney looked at me shocked. She looked at me and she goes, is that you? Come on. <laughs> she goes, is that you? I go, yes, that's me. And that's when I, when I brought out my ID identification, I put it on the desk next to the newspaper and told her, that's me. And yes, they exonerated me of crimes that I did not commit back in 1997. And I spent close to 18 years of my life in prison. A convict being sentenced to 55 years of life. Okay, no chance of, of seeing life anytime soon until this miracle happened. CIP came into the picture. And I went ahead and had the opportunity to prove. Yes, California Innocence Project came into the picture. And had it not been been for them, there were only two two ways of me coming out of prison. Either people, I've seen over 22 people killed, killed in prison behind the crimes that I had. You know, and fortunately for me, and thank God, you know, nothing happened to me. But anyways, going back to the story, the attorney looked at me and, and her response, her comeback really shocked me. It really shocked me because the first thing she said, she had such a sincere look in her face. And this is what uh, your audience needs to keep in mind. Because she said, Mr. Vargas, 
I am so sorry. And I looked at her and, and it baffled me. At the moment I wasn't thinking, at the moment I wasn't like, like putting two and two together, but I looked at her and she goes, Mr. Vargas, I'm so sorry. And, and I go, why is that? And then she goes, I'm sorry because a jury, listen to this, Mr. Jason, Mr. Brooks, when she apologized, she was apologizing for something that to me, apparently she had nothing to do with. But then when she gave me the, the response that I needed to really hear, it cost, I mean, to me, this was closure. In a way, it was kind of closure to me because I finally felt that someone sympathized, empathized, not sympathized, empathized with what I went through. And I'm still stra struggling to put the pieces together. But she said, I'm sorry, because a jury of your peers, imagine that. Someone that wasn't even sitting in the jury at that day. But she said, I'm sorry that a jury of your peers committed this mistake. And because of that, you were sentenced to 55 years to life. I am so sorry. And at that moment, I said to myself, within my, I didn't say, all I said to her was thank you. But deep inside myself, I was like relishing and the fact that I was beginning to find closure. Because it was difficult for me. It still is. It still is. I'm having trouble uh, uh, with a lot of things out here. But you know what? I'm working a lot through it. I, I got wonderful people such as uh, the California Innocence Project, Justin Brooks, Raquel Cohen, Elizabeth Joko, Alex Simpson, uh, Mr. Jeremy, all these wonderful people. Even you guys. Even your station. Even this is helping me vent. It's helping me let everything out. It's helping me go ahead and, you know what? Forget about my past and renew my future. Because now that's actually what I have to do. I have to renew well, that, that means a lot for you to say that because, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's something that's been an obsession of mine is trying to be a small part of, a, of the recovery process or the, or the healing process or the reentry process for brave uh, men and women like you. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you're, you're a fantastic um, role model, I think, for other people who are going through not just these challenges, but other challenges in life. I think for me, I can say that just having a chance to talk with you and to be around uh, others who've been through similar uh, horrendous ordeals puts so much gratitude in my attitude and makes, uh, you know, gives me perspective. And uh, so I, you know, I thank you for, you know, coming on. And, and, and I know it's not easy to share these uh, experiences, but it's so important uh, in so many different ways. And um, I wanted to ask you, too, um, in the limited time that we have left, we covered a lot of ground here already, but when you were sent to prison, uh, as you said, there were 22 uh, people in there. Some were guilty, some were probably innocent like you, who were murdered because they were charged with the similar crimes like you were charged with. Um, yes. And you managed to survive. And I think Justin was telling me that there's a you actually found an amazing uh, sort of um, um, a way to to protect yourself. And can can you talk about that? You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. I have to do this on, a, on almost every six months because in, in prison, the people that the people that control the prison yards. OK, they ask for paperwork. OK, this paperwork. Uh, uh, has all your controlling crimes, what has you in prison, and all your background. And it says whether you're charged with a rape or not. So what I had to do was that I had to, I, fortunately for me, I landed working a job in the program office where I had access to the computer. So what I was able to do, uh, that one document that they would always ask for, that the prison politicians would always ask for, was they would, what I managed to do was that I, I had to type uh, a new controlling crime I had to type different dates, different names of lieutenants, captains, and, and commissioners that always appeared on the annual classifications. And I had to drop the font. I had to lower the, the letter uh, uh, size exactly to the size that the original paper had. So what I had to do was that I had to carefully white out the information that said that I was there for rape and the dates and all that. And what I did, I went ahead and typed out first-degree burglary on the computer. I lowered the font. I went ahead and pasted them on top of the uh, document that they had given me. And the new dates, 
that coincide with all the annual classifications, the new names that coincide with all the people that were at that annual classifications. I had to go ahead and do that almost every six months, every three months. When they would ask for paperwork, they would take it to their cell, and for two or three days at a time, they would analyze it. They would scrutinize it, and they would make sure that that paper was legitimate. So what I had to do, I would have to fabricate new paperwork with my information on it, saying that I was there for as a struck-out inmate under the three-strike law, and my prior, my controlling crime was first-degree burglary. So I had to white out all the information and paste the new information on top. And after that, I had to run copies. And after that, I had to analyze it. I had to make sure that it was no smudges, no wrinkles, no nothing on it that would indicate that it had been tampered with. Because if not, so imagine, it would have cost imagine, me my life. So imagine that, Jason, that we've so given over control of our prisons that the shot callers, which are other inmates who are running the yard, actually request inmates to turn their paperwork over to them so they can review it and decide whether these guys should be killed or not. And a lot of people don't realize there's a real hierarchy in prison. There's this hierarchy in prison, and if you're in there as a child molester, you're going to get killed. If you're in there as a rapist, you're going to get killed. And you've got to answer to what in prison is a higher authority, not the guards, not the courts, but the guys who are running those yards. And and yes, Luis had to worry person, every day. Were they going to figure it out? Every were they day, kill me. That's unbelievable. Every I mean, Luis, the, the, the amount oh, of the amount of forethought and the amount of um, technical ingenuity and uh, and everything else that you had to to you know with a, and a person like yourself who didn't have training in these areas, right? Coming <clears> in, the idea that you were able to create this narrative and and then prove it. Um, this false narrative th- to literally save your own life is something that I'm sure there's some people listening from Hollywood who are going to be like, oh, I'm going to put that in a script now because I don't think anybody's <laughs> even seen that in a oh. movie before. I mean, it's it's unbelievably brilliant. And in fact, if not for that, we probably very likely <clears throat> wouldn't be talking to you today because you would have been not only exactly. been, you would have been wrongfully. And, and I'm sure there were others, like like you said, of those 22. And we know now that you know, somewhere between 5 and 10% of the people in prison in America are innocent. So it stands to reason if 22 guys were killed while you were in there uh, for similar crimes, let's say, you know, probably two of them, according to the statistics, probably two of them were innocent people who were in prison and then were victimized. And, it, and it's interesting, too. You know, yesterday, I want to give a shout-out because yesterday I had a lunch with a guy named Nick Turner who runs the Vera Institute for Justice who are doing incredible work in trying to reform the prison system and bring... Uh, better practices and humane uh, treatment uh, into the prisons. And they're doing this in a variety of ways. They're bringing correction officials and uh, high-ranking members of government to visit European prisons where they treat people completely opposite the way we do. Uh, I mean, where there's respect and there's, you know, and it actually leads to a better society because of the fact that when these people come out, their recidivism rates are so low because they've been treated like human beings when they were in and they've been given the tools and the dignity to come out and succeed on the outside because their attitude in Europe, most places in Europe, is, hey, you know, when you come out, you might be living next door to me somewhere and I'd rather have you be somebody who I treat, you know, with dignity and, and then you come out and, you know, we could you know, have a meal or whatever it could be. And and some of the things that Vera is doing, and I encourage anyone uh, who's listening to go ch- check out Vera Institute for Justice. Um, I don't remember the website offhand, but it's easy to look up and see some of the programs that they're even doing in prisons in America, which are leading to dramatic decreases in violence inside the prisons, tremendous drops in recidivism rates, which is something we all should care about. Um, and I think, you know, the good news is there's a movement underfoot. Uh, I think it's unstoppable at this point, but at the same time, we're going to need as many people to get involved as possible. Um, and I want to, before we close, I want to encourage people to go to the California Innocence Project website as well. I'm sure there are opportunities to volunteer and get involved. Um, Justin can talk more about that maybe in his closing remarks. Um, but, you know, and, and then um, I want to say this is, you know, as we get ready to wrap up this, uh, this episode, um, you know, my favorite part, Justin knows this, but for Luis, this is new for you. My favorite part of the show um, is when I get to actually stop talking and just listen. 
And so what I'd like to do is turn the microphone over to you guys for final thoughts. And we're going to save the best for last. And that's you, Luis. So, uh, Justin, you. what can you uh, what, what are your what are your closing uh, remarks? This is not it's not a trial, but it might as well be <laughs> a closing argument. Well, I just think, you know, it's so important that people remember that this can happen to you. Uh, you can be at work one day and the police show up and arrest you for something that you know nothing about. And you can hope for the best, but you can see through bad identification procedures, through false confessions that are obtained, through people just giving false information, you can be convicted of a crime in the United States of America and go to prison for the rest of your life for something you didn't do. This is all of our criminal justice system. We all should take ownership of it. We're all responsible for it, so you need to get involved. So, yeah, go and check out my website, CaliforniaInnocenceProject.org. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter and hear my rants every day on Twitter at Justin O. Brooks, Hustino Brooks. And, uh, you know, come, it's coming up to be the end of Jerry Brown's life as governor in California. He's got about 147 days left. So uh, when, the day that he has 100 days left, I'm going to walk to Sacramento for the second time and ask him to release uh, a number of our innocent clients that we filed clemency petitions for. So I'd ask for the support in that, retweet my tweets to the governor that I tweet every single day, and get involved. It's our system. We're responsible for it. So that's just Justin O. Brooks on Twitter, or Justino Brooks. And, and just to geek, I mean, Justin's being too modest. He's going to be walking about 700 miles. He's done it before, and he's doing it again. That's the type of commitment that I can just sit here and, and take my hat and, and my shoes off, too, and say, man, that is just, it's awesome. I'm hoping to join you for part of that uh, journey, and and uh, I, I'm I'm planning on it, and I hope other people will too. And you can and people can learn more about that by following Justin on Twitter, Justin O. Brooks, and going to CaliforniaInnocenceProject.org. Okay, Luis, I'm turning it over to you. Well, okay, I'm thankful first of all for having this opportunity. Secondly, I like to tell everybody out there. I mean, I'm pretty sure you have wonderful audience that want to get involved. I do not doubt that at all. During the times that I was in prison, the, all the years that I was in prison, I ran into a lot of people that used to come up to me and say, uh, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the crimes that they accused me of. And then they would vent. I would ask them questions and they would vent. And they would tell me how their crimes went and everything that they went through. And they would affirm, I am innocent. I mean, I'm talking about people that were sentenced to uh, 25 years to life plus 100 more years. Come on, what kind of sentences are those? And they were telling me, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the crimes I have committed. They accused me of. Well, I never had that opportunity. I never had the opportunity to have a shoulder to be able to vent on because then they would ask questions, why are you here for? And I couldn't tell them. But there were many people that told me that, that they were innocent. So projects such as the California Innocence Project and not only public involvement, but all the people that also hear these type of cases that are being spoken about. I mean, I urge them to go ahead and get involved. If you have people, if you have someone in prison that has been wrongly convicted and you feel that it's been wrongly convicted, as I have heard many stories of people out here nowadays, get involved. Write, your, write the people that you need to write to. I mean, when I was in prison, I wrote over 20, 20 some letters hoping that someone would answer. And I thank God that Mr. Justin Brooks and the California Innocence Project did answer. Uh, that it was very important to me. They went ahead and did that. And fortunately, I was able to come out on my own two feet, not on a stretcher. Uh, I was able to come out and be able to speak out here as far as the things that are going on. So people, wonderful audience that are out there, get involved. Get involved because you are the, the one that makes a difference. As, as Mr. Jason said, you're going to be part of a jury. You know, it's going to be up to you to be able, you're going to be able to hold someone's life in the balance, in your hands. And it's going to be on you whether that individual gets rightfully, rightfully uh, uh, tried or not. But you guys are the voice that we have. You guys gave me a voice. Okay, when I had no voice, when I was behind prison bars and I couldn't do anything about my situation, it was the public, it was you guys, the people that got involved that was able to help me out. And not because of you guys, I'm out here right now. I'm talking to you through these wonderful means of the radio. And, and I can feel those positive vibes. I can sense that, you know what, there is someone out there that's saying, you know what, I can and I should make a difference. So get involved. Get involved. Once again, I just want to thank you guys for, for doing this and for allowing me to get involved in such 
uh, programs such as these because it's a wonderful thing to be able to contribute. They bring such self-satisfaction to be able to say, you know what, I should get involved. So please get involved. Luis, thank you again. Um, it's really been inspiring listening to you. You're a remarkable man, and I wish you all the blessings that life has to offer. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you more as we uh, travel along this road and, and working together to spread the word. And Justin, um, what can I say? You're the you know, you know, like I said, you're you're a hero of mine, and so many of us in the movement. And I'm looking forward to working Me closely too. with you. Uh, to yeah, you too for sure. Um, and, I, and I'm wor- looking forward to working closely with you uh, on on as we as we turn this whole situation upside down, which is exactly what we're going to do. So, um, thanks once- so much, brother. I really appreciate all that you do for all of us out here. Okay, well, this has been uh, a, an amazing episode for me to be a part of, and I want to thank the audience for listening to Wrongful Conviction. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.